0: (laughs) Good morning, it's good to see you here First Baptist Arlington, and uh, Cindy and I are grateful to be back with you. Uh, We have just spent the last week or so with some of your fellow church members walking through the ancient streets of Rome, and uh, we had a wonderful time there uh, getting to just see the story of Christianity and the history of our faith lived out in front of us. Uh, we found ourselves on the Appian Way, which is of course the road that led Paul into Rome, and the Ostian Way where Paul was martyred for his faith. And we went to the the uh, hill, the I hill, where the Apostle Peter was crucified because of his belief in Jesus. And so it was very inspiring as it always is to be in Rome. And uh, some of our church members who were there with us are here today. We had the Kings were in the first service, the Wilhelms are here today, they were with us, and uh, we're glad to be back. uh, Cindy and I, our home is under construction, our floors are being repaired. We got in last night, and they got to our house about 11 o'clock or so, and couldn't really get to our clothes, so I uh, I have suits and dress clothes, Uh, we just couldn't get to them last night, we stayed in a hotel, so it was quite interesting. And um, I had several people ask me this morning, how are you feeling? I'm spiritually refreshed but uh i dreamed one time that i was preaching and then i woke up and i was so i hope that doesn't happen to me today um physically um maybe not quite there yet but spiritually renewed and refreshed as i always am by the inspiration of the story of christianity but it's good to see you i want to say a word of thanks to katie hodges for filling in for me and preaching while i was gone so thank you katie appreciate you so much and um always does such a good job and uh but and i guess you all survived the winter storm of 2022 so far is that okay we made it uh we slipped out right before it it hit and uh anyway we were hopeful that everybody survived and did well but it's good to be with you today you know that we have chosen this theme for 2022 Re. Dot, 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 and we are exploring the various biblical words and theological words that are in our vocabulary that begin with that prefix. So, this is a year of re everythinging for us as we are finding our way, hopefully, beyond this pandemic. And during the winter, or during each season, we're choosing one re word, one thought, one concept to focus on. And so, for the winter, it is reflect and we are spending some time together reflecting, reflecting upon what God has done for us, how God has been at work in our lives, and how God continues to be at work as we move into the future. So we have chosen for the winter to focus on the 23rd Psalm. Uh, how about our preschoolers this morning leading us in Psalm 23, wasn't that awesome? I love these little guys. and. Uh, Thank you, uh, children. I know our children are learning the 23rd Psalm and, and uh, so it is the focal point for us. And so today we're going to look at a, a particular phrase out of the 23rd Psalm as we've done every week, but I'm entitled today's message, Facing My Foes. So let's look at this text where David is written, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then this sentence is our focus today. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, this morning, I'd like to begin with an obvious statement that we have shared already in this journey, and that is that sheep need a shepherd. You know, the Bible portrays the people of God as God's flock. And as sheep, we need a shepherd. Because you see, in life, it is so easy to lose our way. It is easy for our lives to to be turned upside down sometimes. And life can come crashing in on us and can shake us to our very foundations. All kinds of things can happen to us that end up with us being in that place where we feel disoriented, discombobulated, if you will, not sure of what to do. Certainly that's been true over these last 20 months or so. Uh, This pandemic has had ripple effects all across society. We saw that played out this year in Rome. Um, The tourism industry in Rome has been decimated. Now, for those of us who happened to be there on our trip this year, well, it was wonderful. There were no lines anywhere. We walked in. The Vatican Museum averages about 20,000 people a day. And right now, they're averaging a little over 600 a day. And it's been that way for over a year so those of you who've been to rome if you can imagine walking into the Raphael rooms and there literally being no one there but us walking into the sistine chapel and just sitting down looking at the ceiling because there was plenty of places to sit it was just um uh, it was it was almost eerie (laughs) you know worked out great for us but i'm not um, dependent on the economy of the tourist industry When we checked into our hotel, where we always stay there every year as as a group, Cindy and I checked in. We were the only two people in the entire hotel, besides the owner and a couple of staff members. So it has had such an impact um, on uh, their economy. Not to mention, of course, the pandemic, its physical toll. Certainly, we've had many, obviously, who have died with COVID. We've had church members that have died with COVID. In fact, right now, we have church members who are really sick, who've been in the hospital with COVID. So the physical toll of this pandemic has been astronomical. But all the other layers, um, it'll take years for us to assess, I'm sure, the impact of it. But, but you know, it's more than just the pandemic. It, it's life, isn't it? Life, life unfolds in front of us sometimes in some interesting ways. And what I've discovered through the years is we don't really need somebody who's just like us. We need somebody who knows more than we know. We need a shepherd who has a deep personal interest in us, some, a shepherd that has a plan for us that, that is best. We need a, a shepherd that can intervene, has the power to intervene in our lives. Well, my goodness, do I have great news for all of us because we can declare with David, the Lord is my shepherd. So praise his name today, the King of kings and the Lord of lords is our shepherd. Well, when you think about David, who wrote this song, we we believe that David was um, older when he wrote this song. Most scholars believe that. And so he has been a shepherd and a king. So he knew what it was to be a shepherd. He knew the responsibilities of shepherding. He also knew what it was to need a shepherd because he had experienced that himself and so um, when you read the 23rd psalm philip keller's written this book a shepherd looks at the 23rd psalm and he was a shepherd in east africa and here's his contention he said when i read the 23rd psalm he says actually what i see in my own life as a shepherd is that david is laying out a year in the life of sheep and he's walking you through what a shepherd does over the course of a year in the life of sheep and and so when you when you see it that way he is drawing some parallels for us so when you come to verse five you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies philip keller says well that's the summertime for shepherds and so that's where we find ourselves in this story because here's what would happen he says the shepherd when he was working as a shepherd he said you would move your flock in the summer to the table lands and he said so we would go out as a shepherd Those of us who helped us and we would choose the the pasture in the table lands where we were going to take the sheep for the summer we'd go out there before the sheep and he said we would investigate the pasture land we would look for weeds and poisonous plants and so you would get rid of all of those you would then take fertilizer and you'd fertilize the the pasture land where you hope to feed your sheep he said usually the watering holes because of the harshness of the winter And the coming of the spring sometimes they would be blocked up sometimes animals had blocked them up he said so you would have to clean out all the watering holes and make sure everything was ready for the sheep he said then he said i would always do an investigation and i would look for the signs of the predators the cougars the bears whatever it was and he said you would try to determine where they were hiding out so that you could kind of have in your mind well this is where the predators are who'll be waiting for this flock of sheep and so Um, Philip Keller says, when I read this, he says, here's, here's how David sums up that in this Psalm. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I wish it just said, you prepare a table before me. I would be good. Wouldn't you? I don't need that last part in the presence of my enemies, but that nevertheless, that is reality. I know last week uh, I watched Katie's sermon and she pointed out to y'all last week that when you come to verse four, there's a pronoun shift. You know, in the first part of the the psalm, he leads me. He is doing this. But then he says in verse four, um, you are with me. The pronoun shifts. And then verse five, we find that same um, statement or that same perspective. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So there's that, there's that um, personal, intimate word from David. It's like a praise or maybe a prayer from David that this is what the shepherd does for him. So that's what I want you to do this morning with me. I'd like for us to just reflect together about that for a few minutes. I want us just to reflect together about our shepherd. What has God done for us? now? you and i in 2022 we have the advantage if you think about it we live on this side of the incarnation so our perspective might be a little different than david's would have been god has always been a shepherd obviously that imagery is found in the old testament but you and i live on this side of the incarnation so we can't help ourselves when we read the 23rd psalm we think about jesus don't we i mean you know as christians We read our Old Testament through our New Testament lenses. That's how it works for a Christian. And so it's like we can't help ourselves. Jesus, he is our shepherd. God sent his son, Jesus, to the world. Well, what has Jesus done? Well, we could spend the rest of our time just discussing what Jesus has done. Jesus has done so much for us. But I want us to think about it like this. I would say this about the Lord Jesus, our shepherd. He has prepared a table for me and you in the presence of our enemies, now, how has he done that? Well, let me just offer you a couple of answers to that question. How has Jesus done that? First of all, I would say our Shepherd precedes us on our way. In other words, Jesus has gone before us. Is what I would say. What I mean by that? Why don't you think about Jesus? First of all, Jesus lived in a real family you know families can be you know interesting they just can be have you ever been in one (laughs) it can be interesting family dynamics can be challenging well guess what jesus lived in a family in fact when you read the new testament you have to Read between the lines a little bit. But you do remember the things it says, right? The text. They'll say things like, hey, Jesus, you know, your brothers and sisters are here. Hmm. Or one time his brothers say to him, why well, don't you go ahead and just start performing some miracles where everybody know who you really are. Sounds like brothers, doesn't it? You know? And I mean, but can you imagine being the brother to Jesus? I mean, that would be kind of, I mean, can you hear Mary saying, well, you know, Jesus never did that. And I, mean, I don't know, that's a whole other. That's a whole other conversation. Um, but the point is, Jesus was in a real family. He had a mother, Mary, he had an earthly father, Joseph, he had brothers and sisters. He, he lived in a family, he understands family dynamics. Um, Jesus lived in a neighborhood. All the, the machinations of living a community with people, living in a neighborhood, Jesus worked a job. J- Jesus went to work every day. He, he learned to trade from his father. And so, you know, when the scripture refers to him as a carpenter, Jesus as a carpenter, Joseph being that carpenter. Well, that word carpenter, it's, it's a little interesting to know exactly what it meant, but he was a tradesman. He had a craft that he learned from his dad that was just common in those days. That's what these Jewish boys did. So think about that. Jesus worked in an economy. They plied their wares. They sold their goods. Many people think they went to the Decapolis and worked among the Gentile population. That would have been very common for somebody who had a business in Nazareth. So Jesus was in a business, a family business. Um, Jesus also went to the synagogue every week. He worshiped with God's people. He read God's word. He prayed. He, He studied. He learned. As a Jewish man, Jesus went to weddings. He went to funerals. Jesus dealt with people who were really, really sick. He navigated relationships, disappointments. Jesus obviously uh, uh, engaged in um, um, the, the relationships within the community that sometimes could be uh, characterized by conflict. Jesus, Jesus lived in a very politically charged environment in the first century, unlike us today. Um, but Jesus lived at a day when the Jews of his day the Jewish leaders of his day were tired of the Romans they were just tired of being occupied and so it chafed their necks they, they were tired of having to pay taxes to Rome they, they were tired of seeing Roman soldiers walking in the Holy Land this was a land given to Abraham and so they were weary of these pagan rulers making decisions about life in the holy land it really should have been none of their business and so there were jews who had all kinds of ideas about what to do with that there was one group of jews who said here's what we need to do instead of engaging the romans in public discourse what we need to do is we need to develop some small guerrilla fighting groups and 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 we will purchase and we will build our own weaponry and the weaponry has to be small and it's going to allow us to have close-up intimate battles with these Roman soldiers, because you you can't face them all at one time. There are too many of them. The Romans know how to fight on that level. So their idea was let's fight in small groups and and we will take them out in small groups. We don't want to rule the whole world, we just want to rule Israel. That group of people were called zealots and they, they, they developed those daggers and those hand fighting skills. Think about it, in Jesus' own group of disciples, remember, he had a guy named Simon The Zealot, he had one of those guys from that political group in his band of disciples. You think they didn't have political conversations about how to deal with the Romans? Of course they did. Jesus lived in a day of of religious division, even within the Jews. You had Jewish leaders in Jesus' day who disagreed as to how they were supposed to live as Jews, how they were supposed to engage their Jewishness, you had some like the Sadducees who said, look, the Romans are in power, get over it. Let's take advantage of it, let's, let's, let's live alongside them. You had the Pharisees who just said, no, all that does is dirty your hands. We've gotta be more pious than that. We, we, we can't be engaged with the Romans on this kind of level. That's not what it means to be a, a man or a woman of God. You had the Essenes who said, you can't have anything to do with any of this. All of it's too polluted. You had the Zealots who said, let's just take this thing over. You had the Herodians we aren't really sure exactly what all they did. The point is, Jesus lived at a moment in time where there was political conversation, there was religious diversity and, and disagreement. In other words, Jesus, our shepherd, has actually preceded us on our way. But on a deeper level, Jesus also engaged with the spiritual forces of darkness that were at work in his world and ours. Jesus knows what it's like to be faced with evil. Of course he does. Jesus also knew how to draw from the rich resources of the spiritual strength of spending a life with the Father. Jesus knows what it's like to gain victory over temptation. He dealt with it. He was tempted to rebel against God he was tempted to disobey God just like you are Jesus knew what it was like to deal with personal attacks Jesus saw disease firsthand human suffering injustice after all Jesus was in Jericho and he encountered Zacchaeus Zacchaeus who was a purveyor of injustice of an unjust system and Jesus encountered him personally Jesus knew what it was like to see that play out in front of him. He understood the hurt that people experienced, brokenness on every level. And after all, y'all, Jesus actually was beaten and suffered and died. So let me just say this to me and you this morning. Can you think of anything that you're going through in your life that Jesus has not already walked ahead of you in? I can't think of a single one. He knows, he watched it. He lived it he saw it he knew the dynamics at play and so our shepherd has gone before us aren't you glad we have a shepherd who knows the landscape because that's who Jesus is I would say also our shepherd prepares for us remember Keller said that this shepherd when he was doing it he said what we would do is we would we would go make ready We, we would we'd get the Pasture land ready for the summer up in the tablelands. We would get rid of the poisonous weeds. We would clean out the watering holes, etc., etc., etc. Well, what has the Lord done for us? He's, he's prepared for us. That's what He's done. Think about how He's prepared for you. He has um, prepared for you physically. He's given you physical provision. When you're born into this world, you're born into a family. Think about how dependent babies are want someone to care for them, provide for them, feed them. The Lord has made that preparation already for you. He knows you need emotional provision. He knows you need relational provision. Jesus has provided all all that for us. God's made us that way. He's created us with bodies. We live in a a creation that works. Our bodies um, are able to take in oxygen and food and, and exercise and rest and and we have a mind that he's given us at all works, but, but let me tell you what else he's done for you. He has prepared for you spiritually because Jesus knows that's the deepest part of you, every human being. You see, your deepest challenge is not your job, your marriage, your relationships, your finances, your physical health. Those are real issues. Your deepest issue is sin. Every single one of us. And guess what Jesus has done? Jesus has provided and prepared for us to deal with our sin. And he has made it possible that our sin can be cleansed. He he knows that with sin comes guilt. And he's made it possible for us to, to be released and forgiven from our guilt. He knows that our sin has separated us from the Father, separated us from our purpose for existence. He's made it possible for us to be restored and reconciled with God. He knows that that separation leads to loneliness and, and self-dependence, if you will. Well, he understands it. he's made it possible for us to be in a community of people. And he's given us the access to it. We, we have the instruments, if you will, in our hands. We pray and commune with God. We hear the voice of God, we read his word, we worship him, we bring our worship into his presence. We live in these biblical communities known as churches. We serve, we share, we care for each other, we engage in spiritual practices. Because here's what the Lord knows, our souls have to be nourished. And so Jesus has prepared for us in that regard. He's our shepherd, he's made sure that what we need's available for us so that our souls can be fed, so when we're empty, we can be replenished. And life sometimes can rob your soul if you're not careful. I I, I came across this a few years ago. George Orwell wrote this in his 1940 journal. He says, I once played a rather cruel trick on a wasp. He was sucking jam on my plate and I cut him in half. He paid no attention, merely went on with his meal, while a tiny stream of jam trickled out his esophagus. Only when he tried to fly away did he grasp the dreadful thing that had happened to him. It's the same with modern man. The only thing that has been cut away is his soul, and he tragically did not notice it. Wow, what an interesting take from George Orwell that that contemporary people have gotten separated from nourishing their souls. They nourish everything else, but their souls. Well, see, Jesus has made it possible to give you access to the rich resources, spiritual resources God has for you. You've gotta access them. Those of you that are a little older in this room, while I've been away in Rome, I've been reading through Max Licato's newest book. It's really a compilation of of his writings. But he tells the story the very first time he went to a self-serve gas station. He said he went inside and he told the young attendant, "I want to get twenty dollars on pump, whatever." And, and the attendant said, "Great." And he said, "No, I'm." He said he had his credit card. He said, "I wanna, I wanna get twenty dollars on pump, none no, of whatever." And the guy said, "Good, thank you." And the guy just turned and helped the next guest. And Locato said, "What?" He said, "Sir, self serve. Just go out there and swipe, swipe a card." Locato said he went out and stood in front of this contraption. And he said, I've been taught all my life, you don't swipe anything. I mean, that's just not what you do. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, I stood there and finally a truck driver pulled up and got out of his truck. And he saw me standing there and he realized I didn't know what I was doing. He said, do you know how to get gas? No, I don't. He said, all I know is my car is empty. And I believe that underground, this tank right here is full. I'm trying to get some of that and just put it in my tank, but I don't know how to do it. So he said, the truck driver showed him how to swipe the card and do all that. Lucado said, I feel so often like people have empty souls and God has all this treasure to give them and they stand there and they have no idea how to access it. Well, here's how you access it. We pray, we engage in spiritual practices, we worship God, we hear the voice of God, we live in community with the people of God, we engage in the activities of God, we access what's available for us because you know why? Because the shepherd has prepared for us. He's made a way for us, we're not just on our own if you will. And then finally, there's one other point that really is at the heart of the last part of this text, and that is our shepherd protects us. David says this. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. When David was a young man, a shepherd, his enemies were cougars, bears, They were predators for his sheep. What about when David was a king? I'm not sure he worried much anymore about cougars and bears. He was more worried about all the ites. Right? Amalekites, Amorites, all the ites. He was worried about Absalom, his son. He was worried about insurrection within the kingdom. In other words, the enemies took on human manifestation. But you know what? That wasn't the only thing he worried about. That wasn't his only enemy. He, he had the enemy of lust and greed, didn't he? You remember when he took Bathsheba? You remember that story? I remember Nathan came to him and said, King, I need to tell you a story. There's a guy in the kingdom that has all these flocks. And there was a guy over here who had one, one ewe lamb, just one ewe lamb. And this guy went over there and took that ewe lamb from that guy who only had one. David said, bring him in, we'll kill him. Remember Nathan pointed that long, bony prophet finger and said, you are that man. And all of a sudden, David confronted another kind of enemy, very different than Absalom or any other warring king or a, you know, a, a lion or a bear. It was something within himself. So David knew there's different enemies. Well, I would submit to you, there's different enemies at different seasons of the life of the people of God. There are different enemies in the season of your own life. They take on different forms. We just got back from Rome. And when I say that the shepherd protects us, I believe that. But I don't know how it works. I don't know how the Lord has decided to do all that. The Apostle Paul came to Rome as a prisoner. We believe he left after a couple of years. But we just got back from walking down the Ostian Way. It's on the Ostian Way that Nero's henchman captured Paul. And it is there with the, the hand of an executioner, the sword of Nero, if you will, severed Paul's head from his body, and he was martyred right there. The fisherman from Galilee. <laughs> oh Simon Peter himself somehow had navigated all the way from the shores of galilee to the most powerful city in the world rome itself and simon peter was also captured by the romans he'll be carted off to the edge of the forum the height of roman power of that day and he was carried down the dungeons of the mamertine prison chained to a post the apostle the maybe the most famous Christian alive, easy to spot, and the judgment was made. He's not a Roman citizen, so he can suffer. So no beheading for Peter. No, no, let's crucify him. So the decision was made to take him out there to that hill called the Vatican, and, and Peter, Peter offered up a simple request. Don't, don't crucify me the way my Lord was. I'm not worthy. Cru, crucify me upside down. And so we know the history of Peter's death. He was placed on a cross upside down and gave his life for all of this. Sebastian was a a part of the Secret Service. He was a personal guard to the Emperor Diocletian and gave his life to Christ, became a very public witness for Jesus. And Diocletian began that terrible persecution of Christians at the end of the third century. Sebastian, captured by the Imperial Guard, he was He was chained to a post and his own fellow soldiers filled his body with arrows and he gave his life as a martyr. Where where was Jesus? Where was Jesus on the Ostian way when none other than the apostle Paul had his head on a chopping block and Nero's henchman has a sword in his hand? Where, where, Where was Jesus when the fishermen from Galilee called from that simple life into a life of apostleship and service and ultimately suffering. Where was Jesus when, when Peter was crucified upside down? You know, when, when we go to Rome, we always go in the, the um, basilica churches, the main churches of Rome. We go into many of them, and certainly we visit St. Paul's and St. Mary's and St. Peter's and, and St. John. But one of my favorite churches in Rome is up on a hill just overlooking the Colosseum And it's called St. Peter in Chains. And it's a a church that dates back to the 5th century. But in that church, there's a dedication to St. Peter. And when you go to the high altar of that church, just underneath it, you have this set of chains that legend tells us held the very hands of Simon Peter, both in Jerusalem and in Rome, that Pope Leo had placed them there. And I tell our folks when we're there, you know, every time you see Simon Peter depicted in art or, or architecture in any way in 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 the Renaissance art, he always has something in his hands. You remember what it is? What is it? Keys. You remember when Jesus said, You are Peter, I'll give you the keys. But at St. Peter and Chains, it's the chains. I would say to you that in Rome, that's a more appropriate symbol for our brother Peter. He was a chained prisoner who gave his life for the gospel, Sebastian, and there are thousands of them during that era in the history of the Roman Empire. Where was Jesus, the shepherd, the protector? Well, I, don't, I don't know all that, y'all, but here's what I do know. I know that every time I go and I walk on that Appian Way, I walk on the uh, Ostian way. I I go by the Mamertine prison. I go into St. Peter and chains. I know what it does to me. When I go to St. Sebastian's tomb, I know what it does to me. It inspires me. It emboldens me. And I would submit to you that those men and those women in that moment when they're martyred, they had no idea that millions upon millions upon millions would come behind them and be inspired by their example. Example, And you know what happened? The Roman forum now lies in ruin and the church is thriving to this day. Tertullian said the blood of the martyrs is the seedbed of the church. You can't stamp this out. So the Lord took something, something horrible And he has used it powerfully for his glory. And I believe that in those moments, Jesus is never more near and never more present than in the deaths of those martyrs. He knows what it's like to die for others. You know why? He's a good shepherd, that's why. So I don't know what your foes are. Maybe maybe they're more subtle today. Maybe they don't have flesh and blood. Maybe they do. You may be thinking of somebody right now and you think that's my enemy and he, he's at my office and he, he has it in for me and I know it. You may know that may be true. But the enemies can be really different. Discouragement. Despondency. Self-sufficiency. Lust. Greed. I mean, the list is almost Endless self-sufficiency, you know what all that does? It It just eats at us. Here's what I want you to know. Whatever those foes are, you're not alone. Jesus is with you. In fact, he's been there. He was there when you got there. He's not surprised by any of it. So if you'll access him and his presence, then you can enjoy what he's prepared in front of you, even in the face of your enemies, because he'll give you strength and power and resources way beyond yourself. That's how he works. I'm grateful, I walk in those glorious churches in Rome and I'm reminded of the glory of God. Some people are put off by it, they don't, they don't, wanna, they don't wanna see that ostentatious display it's interesting to me that you can build a football stadium, but can't build a church like that. It's funny, isn't it? Our, the way we I don't have anything against building football stadiums, so I just wish we'd played football in ours. But nevertheless, <laughs> be that as it may, it is Super Bowl Sunday after all. Um, but you know, you you face foes of all kinds. I, I came across this story. Nadine Curry is a young man, and back in 2011, he's a 13-year-old boy, and he's from Liberia. His mom had moved to Minnesota from West Africa, looking for better life for her family, and she lost her job. And they ended up moving to Philadelphia. And and uh, for a number of reasons, uh, little Nadine was a little smaller than normal, and his um, language skills were a little different, you know, being reared in the home he was in. And so in the school there in Philadelphia, he started being bullied. And you may remember his story. It's been 11 years ago, but But one day, after school, seven boys from the school there in Philadelphia um, attacked Nadine, beat him unmercifully, and, uh, and they ended the beating by taking him and hanging him from a stake on a fence in the neighborhood. Some neighbors saw it and called the police, but one of the boys videoed it and posted it on YouTube. And so the police arrested the boys And his story became a national story. And after he recovered and was okay physically, he was invited to be a guest on The View, you know, the TV show. And so he came in and he and his mom and they interviewed him and they asked if he had seen the video to which his reply was he didn't have to see the video. (laughs) He was actually in it. Um, But he said yes. And they showed some snippets of it, asked him a little bit about it. And then they said, we have some people here today who want to send you and the bullies a message. And so little Nadine sitting there, and all of a sudden Deshaun Jackson walks in, wide receiver from the Philadelphia Eagles back then, with some linemen from the Philadelphia Eagles with jerseys and all kinds of paraphernalia, autographed and surrounded this little teenage boy and put their arms around him, sat up next to him and gave him all this stuff. And then Deshaun Jackson did this. He got his phone and he said, mom, get, get your phone. And he said, they didn't get your phone out and he said, Let me give you my cell phone number. So he typed in his cell phone number. He said, Next time those bullies show up, you got me on speed dial, and I'll bring these guys with me, and we'll just see who the real bullies are at your school. All of a sudden the dean felt like he had God on speed dial. Guess what you have? You got something better than the Philadelphia Eagles. Gosh, would to God we all have something better than the Philadelphia Eagles. (laughs) But be that as it may, you got something better than that. I don't wanna make light of it to say you've got God on speed dial. That doesn't mean he's gonna do everything you want him to do, but here's what I want you to know. He doesn't need you to call him. In fact, he got there before you did and he's with you all the time. So enjoy the table that's been prepared for you, even if it's in the face of your enemies. Because my experience has been, he doesn't always remove those enemies, but he gives us what we need, the resolve, the strength, the stamina to deal with whatever it is that we're called upon to face. And you know why? Because he's a really good shepherd. Amen, amen. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, we, we love you. And we are grateful today, Lord, for your love for us. And we thank you that you have sent your son and that he's the good shepherd. And Lord, we know that you have been shepherding your people for a long, long time. And so, Father, I have no idea what all's happening in the lives of these people. I know many of them, of course. I'm their pastor. I love them. But there are things going on in all of our lives that probably no one really knows. So there are people right here in this room, there are people that are joining us online, that maybe today they just need to be reminded that in the face of their enemies, you are there to prepare a table for them, to provide for them. And so Lord, I ask you just on their behalf as their pastor to make it so. Help them to see your hand at work and experience your presence in a fresh new way and embolden them to live the life that you would have them to live during this season, whatever season they're in. And we trust you to do that, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.